Welcome to In Context, coming to you from Vine Sanctuary, an LGBTQ-led farmed animal refuge in Vermont. We bring you conversations with authors and organizers exploring the connections between animal advocacy, race, gender, and social justice to help put today's big questions in context. And welcome to In Context. I'm Patrice Jones, and my guest today is the extraordinarily fabulous Brenda Sanders of Baltimore. As always, I'm joining you from the grounds of Vine Sanctuary in Vermont. And I usually start the show by talking about a particular animal at the sanctuary. But what I'm thinking about today is a particular place in the sanctuary that's called the Commons. The commons ruled by a turkey called Caroline is a big barn uh, with several coops attached in which cows and sheep and goats and alpacas and chickens and ducks and geese and guinea fowl and others cooperate to co-create a community of care, and mutual respect across differences. And why I'm thinking about this right now before interviewing Brenda is because Brenda's work has been all about community. Uh, and so when I think about Brenda Sanders, I think of community. And when I think of community, I think of the comments here at Vine Sanctuary. Brenda, welcome. And thank you so much for making time in your always too busy schedule uh, to talk with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I cannot think of anything else I would rather be doing at this moment. Ah, well, that's so sweet. I remember the first time that I met you, which was at the Left Forum in New York City. I had come down from Vermont to attend it. You had come up from Baltimore to attend it. And uh, we were, it was in the discussion after a set of presentations about intersections among animal exploitation and uh, various forms of injustice among humans. And there was some conversation afterwards and you spoke up and just so casually referenced a project in Baltimore that was like so awe-inspiring which was a community garden attached uh, to a, a vegan project. Uh, can, can you tell me a little bit about that project first and then we'll get into the 1100 other projects <laughs> that you're involved in? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you asked me about this because I haven't thought about that project in a while. You know, so much has happened since then and I am just so... Uh, involved and engaged in so many things that I, I rarely take the time to just remember where I came from and like, you know, how this all kind of got started. The Penn North Community Garden, Penn North is a community in Baltimore, uh, very, very marginalized. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, the main um, source of income in that particular community was industry. And so when industry left, um, the community was just forgotten. And so 
I moved into the community and I immediately saw that there were just so many issues there. And so I just thought, I always think like, what can I do? I always, it's always about like, what can I do? How can I help? You know? And, um, and so I started talking to people in the community and, um, and it seemed like the, the fact that there wasn't any fresh food anywhere, uh, in the community seemed to be, um, a source of, like, like a sore spot because there were so many elders who had come up from the South. And so they were gardeners. Um, and I just sort of got inspired. Now I'm not a gardener. Um, and I, I had no idea what I was doing, but Baltimore has this, um, this program called adopt a lot. And so there are so many abandoned lots in Baltimore, uh, that are just become dumping grounds for um for folks because you know the trash services don't always come around regularly and people need to get rid of trash and that just becomes sort of a habit um like if they're not going to pick it up then I'm going to dump it and so this particular lot had been a dumping ground for all kinds of stuff and so I got together some folks um who sort of have the same mission that I do which is to um improve the lives of people who live at the furthest margins of society. Um, and we just started to clear this lot. I was like, we're gonna, you know, start this community garden and it's gonna be great. And, you know, it's gonna bring the community together. And of course I had all these lofty goals. And um, so, you know, we started to clear off this lot. Um, we went and started to like collect all these found materials. Um, and and start to to build these raised beds and i thought well clearly the community because you know i'm so delightful they're just gonna flock to this project um and and what happened was that the community didn't um but the children in the community did and it was it, it started off as sort of curiosity um and so the the children would come over and just kind of watch us and and uh just just see what we were up to um and then eventually they started asking us questions um there was a a group of children in particular who would come out every day every single day monday through friday um and and even on the weekends and they just were fascinated by what we were doing. Um, and they would, eventually, um, they started asking if they could help. And, and of course, we were like, absolutely, you know. Um, and so we started incorporating them into the building of the raised beds or the planting of the seeds. And um, as the planting season progressed, um, or as the growing season progressed, uh, things started to sprout and the environment in that lot started to change. Um, and, and a really miraculous thing happened, a thing that I wasn't expecting, which was that when we brought flowers and trees, we planted some apple trees and um, the, this fresh produce into this space, we made it green, um, animals started to show up. And we, like, I didn't know. I mean, I, I grew up in the project, so I did, we didn't even have green things around us. Um, and so I, I just didn't know that when you make things green, animals 
show up. <laughs> like It was almost like magic. And so these children who had not been seeing these different kinds of, you know, insects and, and sort of like what I would think of as woodland creatures. I don't know, like squirrels and stuff, <laughs> sparrows. And they were just mystified by these, these living creatures that were suddenly popping up. And it was, it was a beautiful thing because they weren't afraid. And I've noticed that a lot of adults, the, the first reaction to um, like, a creature that they're not familiar with is fear. But these children were mystified by these creatures. And there was this one um, situation where, you know, I'm off doing something and I heard the, the children like, wow, what's that? And, you know, just really, really excited. And so um, I go over to see, you know, what they see. And um, it was a praying mantis. And I mean, these children were so fascinated with this praying mantis. Oh, we were all fascinated. I, I don't see praying mantises every day. And so we were all just like, oh my gosh. And the, and the praying mantis was like aware of us as we were aware of the mantis. And so, you know, the mantis was like kind of looking at us while we were looking at them. And the children were, you know, like pointing out the legs and the antennae and the eyes and this and that. And it was just such a moment for me of connection and I felt that the children were having that same kind of experience that they were connecting with the planet and with these creatures in a way that they had not had an opportunity to do before and it meant so much to me to be able to create that for for folks who may not have had that opportunity so it was a beautiful experience. I still get kind of choked up about it, actually, when I think about it. This all was going down in Baltimore. Um, and uh, uh, I hope that I would admire your work no matter where you were doing it. But since Baltimore is my hometown, uh, it particularly hits my heart uh, when, I think, when I think about uh, this project and others that you've done. Uh, this project did not last forever. Um. Unfortunately, unfortunately. And, um, and I say that the children were the first to come out. Uh, th then the elders came out and, um, you know, to see what all the fuss was about. And, um, and initially they would just watch, but then they saw that we didn't know what the heck we were doing. And they all had a background in, in gardening and farming. So they would come over and say, oh, no, 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 don't do it like that this do it like that and so you know they are a big part of the reason why the the garden was so successful um and then you know some of the other folks um some families uh started to come out and and be a part of the growing and the the harvesting um and and it was beautiful because i was told that for some of those families this was the time that they spent together, you know, parents working two and three jobs, you know, not really having the time to, to do, you know, the communal family thing, but coming out to the garden was their time spent together. Um, so that was important to me. Unfortunately, there was already a 10 year plan in place um, that had been put in place by uh, a development company. Um, I don't know how familiar folks are with 
the Baltimore landscape, but Penn North is right adjacent to Druid Hill Park, which is a historic park, has a beautiful uh, reservoir um, called Lake Druid Hill and uh, or Druid Hill Lake. And um, and it's just it's really, really beautiful. And I guess the developers had a plan to um, have this this area be enjoyed by people who I guess they felt like deserved it more. Um, and so we were the victims of uh, what's commonly known as gentrification um, because there was this whole plan to move the poor black people out and, you know, build condos and, you know, you know, you know, the, the deal. Um, I do. But, but for, for, for any of our, our viewers who don't, this is a, a pretty common process uh, that has been going on um, in various communities uh, since since at least the 1960s. So um, we uh, were sort of pushed out little by little. The first thing was like um, we got um, we were <laughs> harassed about the fact that we had planted some trees because you know it, it wasn't permitted for us to plant the trees, and then um, you know just just little by little there started to be more issues and more problems uh, to the to the point where you know one day we went out to the garden and the whole thing had just been raised to the ground by the city. <sighs> it was heartbreaking. The children were devastated. Um, you know the elders were just kind of like, yeah, that's how it goes. Mm. And, um, and it, you know, I, I still don't think I've recovered. I'm not sure about everybody else who was involved, but I still haven't recovered from having gone through that. Um, that's not to say that I won't start another community gardening project at some point. Um, but that was pretty devastating for us. You know, I, I, when I was thinking about which animal to talk about, uh, to begin the interview with Brenda Sanders, uh, one one bird I had thought of uh, was was a bird who we called Chumbawamba um, because um, uh, he came to the sanctuary at our original location after jumping off a poultry truck headed for the slaughterhouse and he had a broken back, uh, broken leg, and a broken wing, and a broken beak. Um, but, um, you know, he, he, he had really been knocked down, but he got back up again, uh, just like that song by the band Chumbawamba mm. and, um, and, and then was adopted by a group of ducks, uh, one of whose name, uh, was Baltimore. Oh. Uh, so, um, and, and I'm thinking of that right now because this must've just been heartbreaking, uh, just in every way I, I can I, I can sort of feel what it would have felt like to just suddenly see it's not just your labor but this this glorious alternative space of green and healing and nourishment uh, and community uh, to which animals flocked just raised by the bulldozers in service of profit yep yeah. But you did not allow that to knock you down permanently because I can't even list all of the <laughs> projects that you've done since. So I, I, can, can, can you just run us through some of the projects that you've been involved in in Baltimore? Yeah, wow. Okay, so um, it, I guess it sort of all started with, um, with the... <laughs> the study, the Johns Hopkins study 
that um, that I found out about at a community meeting um, that uh, it it compared two different communities in Baltimore City. Uh, one is an affluent white community. Um, the other is a poor black community, and they just wanted to see what the difference in health outcomes was. Uh, and what they found was that there was a 20 year uh, difference in life expectancy between these two groups. And uh, the main factor that uh, was involved was diet. I mean, they even the researchers apparently were surprised because they thought it would be all kinds of other things, you know, like um, economics or stress or, you know, whatever. And they found that it really just came down to the foods that the people in these communities had access to. And, you know, I had been eating plant foods for <laughs> decades at that point. Um, and I thought, you know, if there were accessible plant foods um, and, and if people just had um, access to information about this, because you got to remember that like the food system itself is very racist. Like our, our food system is a lot of things. It is cruel. It is exploitative. It is violent. Um, and it is racist and certain communities of people, certain, um, races of people are targeted in specific ways. Um, and poor black people are targeted with some of the worst foods and these, um, you know, processed food industries come in and flood these communities with the worst possible foods. And this is what folks have had access to, easy access to for generations. And that has had a very negative impact on the health outcomes of the people who have been sort of um, forced <laughs> to, you know, to, to into these foods because that those are the foods that they have access to. And so I knew that this, you know, I didn't know these things when I was growing up and I had to become educated myself. And so I thought, well, I know all this stuff just from personal experience. Why don't I just start telling people what I know? And at that point, I didn't even know that that was activism. I didn't know that I was doing anything other than just trying to fix, you know, right or wrong. Um, and so I just cashed in my savings account, which quite frankly, wasn't much, but I, I was able to go and get some cooking demo equipment. Um, and I just started going door to door to churches, to community centers, uh, to health fairs, whoever would have me, I would just offer to do these uh, free plant based cooking demos. And it would end up being like a, a like a little mini lecture, which I never planned, but I just had stuff to say. And, uh, and it would be followed by this demonstration of how to take these plant foods and make them delicious. And then I would do like, not necessarily samples, but like we would have dinner. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, because I, I just, I'm all about community and, you know, I'm all about family and, and what do you do? You get together and, and you eat together. Um, and so that's what we would do. And I just started doing that all over the city. And, um, and those, those lectures, I, I, um, I called it uh, Better Health, Better Life, the, the initial organization um, that I started. And I would just go around and, and give away this information. Um, eventually, it got so popular that I couldn't quite handle it <laughs> by myself. But I had already connected with so many people who, folks who had gone through 
um, you know, the, the different who had attended the different workshops and stuff that I had been doing. Um, and they just believed in what I was doing and they were like, I want to be a part of what you're doing. And so sort of, I sort of, um, built a team in a way. Um, I connected with other folks. I connected with some vegans, um, some animal rights folks in Baltimore, and we were, um, able to start structuring, um, these uh this programming um started to do we started to do a uh a vegan pledge program which i didn't even know was a thing i you know i was just like well what if folks just did it for a month what if we just took people through a program where they you know went plant-based you know just converted to a plant-based diet just for the month and we do programming and we support them and we give them resources and we just make it fun. Um, little did I know folks all over <laughs> the world were, were doing uh, programs like this that were very successful. Um, I learned a lot of what I ended up doing just by doing. <laughs> and that was one of the things. Eventually, um, we uh, we just needed a, a base of operations. We were just um, needing a larger space to do what we were doing because it went from I've done uh, in in the beginning I've done presentations in front of two people. Once I planned a presentation, lots of people RSVP'd, and then it there was like a torrential downpour and one person showed up and we had the best time, you know, and we ate lots of food and they took some food home and, you know, it, it was just a great thing. Um, but eventually we just needed the space because there were dozens of people and then there were hundreds of people and we needed a base of operations. And so Thrive Baltimore was born and Thrive Baltimore, um, is the community center where we were just able to expand our reach and expand the work exponentially. Um, we started a program called the Plant-Based Jumpstart, which um, is just a four-week program where, you know, each week we have people come in um, on a Saturday and there's some kind of programming. So initially it was just me talking, which is, a lot more fun than you might think and then <laughs> but then eventually you know folks wanted to hear from doctors they wanted to you know hear from chefs they wanted to hear from from professionals and so I had started connecting with people by then so I started being able to bring in like healthcare professionals um, professional chefs uh, nutrition you know all kinds of folks and then um, having them share their expertise with folks, those folks told folks who told folks who told folks to the point where we had, I think, a 500 person capacity and we would be at capacity at every event. Um, we did fun stuff, like really fun stuff. Like we had a, I mean, it's Baltimore. So we had a vegan crab cake competition, which Patrice, I mean, you missed it. I'm sorry. Um, it was amazing. <laughs> Y'all had, had the uh, 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 mac and cheese smackdown of some yes yes that that event was so big we weren't even able to have it at thrive we had to like rent a hotel ballroom and like three thousand people came out um mac and cheese. the interestingly the first vegan mac and cheese smackdown that we did um was at this uh at this place called the urban business center which is like smack dab in the, in the middle of the hood 
And so, of course, you know, the vegans are going to come out because if they they hear about vegan mac and cheese, like they're coming. And so they there was this line all the way down the, the street, all the way like two blocks down of people who were just waiting to get in to sample. I think we had 20 chefs and restaurateurs and just people who were just, you know, really good cooks uh, who had brought their version of vegan mac and cheese. Well, folks saw folks from the neighborhood saw this line and they didn't even ask what it was. They just got in line because they were like, this must be good. <laughs> and so we had so many people who came into the event. And of course, all of it was um, was free. Um, and so we had all these people coming in to this event who had no idea what it even was. They just knew that something really exciting was going on. And so once they got in, there were vendors, there were uh, nonprofits who had information that they were giving out. Um, they, a lot of these people learned about veganism, learned about plant-based food for the first time at this event. And they were able to taste this delicious comfort food that everybody loves and and find out that it wasn't made from animal products. And there were so many conversations that were able to be sparked and so many uh, people who, who connected with us and who stay connected with us because of that event. And, uh, and that, but that's how it always was. It was just always this sort of things just came together, you know, community just came together and it, and it worked out really well. So um, that's Thrive. <laughs> well, and and there's also uh, the the festival. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so vegan, vegan soul, soul fest. Uh huh. Right, vegan soul right. fest. Um, that and, and, and uh, but before and there's more. Yes, well, there, there's more. But before I, I'm starting to worry a little bit that people watching might think, oh wow, I mean this is this is so amazing. Uh, this is such spectacular work. Uh, that's not something that I could do. And so I guess I wanted to highlight and then ask you, I want to highlight a few things that you've already said that might make people help people understand uh, and then maybe ask you some, some ideas. Uh, so one thing I noticed when you were, when you were talking about the community garden uh, was uh, that at some point, like y'all didn't know what you were doing. And so uh, you were making mistakes and people came uh, out to tell you you were doing it wrong. And that's how they got involved. And I thought that was a perfect illustration of uh, how as a community organizer, it's not just that you don't have to be perfect. It's that sometimes it can be helpful uh, when you're not perfect. Uh, because then that gives people the opportunity and the motivation to step up and say, no, nah, wait a minute, you've got this wrong. I've got this expertise that I can offer. Um, and so in that case, it, it's, it's better than if you had been like expert gardeners with your very determined ideas about how tomatoes should be planted. Exactly. Because I think sometimes a certain level of arrogance comes with expertise, right? Um, and so maybe I wouldn't have been open to the community telling me how I should be, you know, planting the tomatoes, but because I was just there with a good heart and, uh, the desire to help and folks saw that and felt that, um, they wanted to, to be a part of that. And it's the same way with every single project. 
I don't have a background in event planning. I don't have a background in any of that stuff. (laughs) I just saw a problem and I felt motivated um, to do whatever I could to, to try to resolve it. So so you, you said before uh, that, you know, first there were dozens of people and then there were hundreds of people, but at first it was just you. And then it was you and like maybe five, six other people. And then, so what is it, if you reflect back, like what, what are the, what are the characteristics of the ways that the, you and other people, you are interacting with other people that allows these groups to grow from like one person to six people, to dozens of people, to hundreds of people. I didn't purposely make my goal to empower people. Um, but I think that I was unconsciously empowering people um, to to use their own creativity and their own ideas and their own perspectives and their own experiences um, to 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 help with the greatest good, right? Because it feels good to do good, and that's just a fact. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never really met somebody who's like. It was a good thing that I did and I hated every minute of it. You know, it, it feels good to do good. And 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 so I think that people just felt inspired by my passion and and um you know my love of the community and my desire to to want to make it better. Um that was an inspiration for them to want to be a part of that. And it's going to happen for anybody who is considering doing community-based activism you know go in with an open heart and that's going to shine through and you know and that that's what's happened certainly in Baltimore I mean this this work has taken on such a momentum that I wouldn't if you had told me 10 years ago that Baltimore would be sort of like a vegan mecca um I would have been like oh you (laughs) sure it will but I mean, it's happened. So, so it, it seems to me also that that you um, you were, you've been sincere in what you're trying to do. In other words, um, um, you sincerely care about people's health, and you sincerely care about kids having food in the same way that you also sincerely care about the well-being of animals. And there's, it's, it's not the case that like one or the other takes precedence or um, that really you only care about this one thing and then you're just sort of talking about these other things to try and convince people. Uh, it seems to me that your, your, your dedication to what you've been doing has been really sincere um, and that shows through. I hope so. <laughs> it, 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 I, it makes me happy to hear you say that um, because it's not always easy. And and I've made a lot of mistakes and I have just made sure to learn from those mistakes. When I was learning about the factory farming industry um, and for folks who may be tuning in um, who haven't done the deep dive into um, the animal use industries, pace yourself. Um, because I just dove right in. I just started researching and learning about everything from factory farming to fur farming to, you know, um, experimentation and, you know, just, I just took on so much, uh, and it 
gave me PTSD. I mean, I, I was, I was doing harm, um, to myself. And then I sort of used my platform and kind of turned that out on folks at, at a certain point. Um, and I, and I do regret that. Um, and I, I regret that I didn't think that through more because there was one <laughs> plant-based jumpstart where I just traumatized everybody. I mean, I had, I had just learned, <laughs> I think I had just learned about, um, just animal research, like, um, animal, animal experimentation. Vivisection. Yeah. Vivisection. And, um, and I was just like furious. I was furious and I was disgusted and I was hurt and that that I had gone my whole life and never known any of this stuff. And I was like, oh, everybody's going to know and they are going to and, and they're going to feel it the way I feel it. And then I just went on to traumatize everybody. People were just crying and, you know, getting up and walking out and, you know, what the some of the feedback I got was I didn't come here for this. You know, I, I didn't come here to be traumatized. I didn't come here to be sad. I thought that you were going to help, you know. <laughs> and so and so I, I did learn from that experience um, that you there's a way to gently introduce these things um, to people where you're not um, causing that that trauma. Um, and but people do need to know and people do deserve to know. And people can make better choices when they do know about all the different ways in which, you know, uh, we are harming animals, all the different ways that animal use industries are harming us. Um, and, and so, you know, over time, I learned the best way to sort of balance everything, to balance my passion, to balance my um, anger. And, uh, and to make it a good experience for everybody involved. So, um, you know, but, and, 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 and the folks who are thinking about doing community activism, you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna learn from those as well. Um, but a big part of my work is to make sure that everything I know is, is accessible to other activists. Um, so that maybe they won't make some of the mistakes that I made, they can make their own mistakes. <laughs> and, and there are endless, endless mistakes uh, for humans uh, to make. Uh, so, so, so I definitely want to know what you're doing right now in Baltimore, but I also want to make sure I mention uh, the Afro Vegan Society, which is mm. an organization you co-founded. And I'm hoping to have somebody from Afro Vegan Society come and talk. Uh, on the show as well, but I, I want to make sure I give them a shout out and give you the chance to mention them as well as what up, whatever you're working on in Baltimore right now. Yes, oh, Afro Vegan Society is has just been such a joy. Um, I, I founded Afro Vegan Society because I um, because I <laughs> how do I say this? Um, Just say it. Okay, Patrice. I was in, I was engaging with the animal rights movement, and it was a very unpleasant experience. And I wanted to make sure that if there were other Black folks who wanted to engage with this work, that there was a safe space for them to do so. Um, 
and you know i just when you have a mostly white movement <laughs> and certain things are just inevitable and um and i don't you know i'm not jaded or bitter or anything like that but i did have some some very discouraging um experiences that you know could have led me to just walk away um but i i'm not a quitter <laughs> and so i um I decided to 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 take that the things that I had learned from from those environments and and make sure that I could build something that would just be um, that would give other activists like me an opportunity to to be uh, to do this work, but to just be black and free <laughs> while they did it. I mean, the number of times that people at, in the animal rights movement asked me why I had to be bringing race into it as if I ever have any choice in the matter. <laughs> like, ra Black people are racialized. Other people of color are racialized. We don't racialize ourselves. We didn't, you know, create this system. And we are the victims of it. And there were, you know, so many situations in which I was victimized um, that I just wanted to, to make sure that there was another, um, choice, right, for folks, and, um, and, and then also Afro-Vegan Society has been able to do this work of educating people about these issues, about everything from, you know, uh, food inequality to, um, to animal rights, to climate change, to, you know, just, just all kinds of issues. Um, but in a way that is culturally appropriate and sensitive and, um, and in a way that, that we can actually reach the communities that we're trying to reach and not <laughs> be offensive and, you know, and just oblivious. Um, because we're talking to our own community. If, if I can say from the outside, it also seems like Afro-Vegan Society does on the um, uh, national level, let's say, um, or on the internet and nationally, and I'm sure internationally as well, you know, many of the same things that you were doing in Baltimore with the same spirit. Like there's that joyousness. Uh, and... Um, even though it's over the internet, I see a feeling of community being created. Community comes from the heart. And uh, one of the things that the pandemic sort of forced on our work um, is, you know, we, we couldn't get together large groups of people anymore. And at that, you know, at the point two years ago, <laughs> we didn't have a choice about how many people were coming. I mean, people were just flocking to our events. Um, I mean, there were times when we were just like, look, the fire department is going to shut us down. Like we have to cut this off. We are at capacity. And so being in a situation where, you know, the, there are these restrictions in place that say large groups of people can't, can't get together. It's, it's just, it's forbidden. Um, I couldn't just stop the work. And so I think that um, that was the moment when a lot of that work got pivoted to the virtual platform that had already been Afro-Vegan Society. And it was just perfect. It, you know, there was, there wasn't, we didn't, we didn't miss a beat. 
you know, and the Afro Vegan Society team is the light of my life. I <laughs> I tell them often, I tell them weekly that they are the most amazing group of women and they, you know, they have just taken Afro Vegan Society from where it was and and just taken it to the stars. I mean, we've been able to reach so many people. I'm, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of people, you know, which I mean, we got 3000 people at the mac and cheese competition, but <laughs> now we are reaching hundreds of thousands of people. And it's amazing. It is exhilarating. And it's because of the work of every single person on the team and the dedication and the passion and drive for community that we've been able to reach. So, oh, and the support <laughs> from, you know, our sponsors and, you know, the love from folks, including yourself. I mean, we've been feeling the love from you and, and from Vine. And it's because of all of that support that we've been able to accomplish so, so, so much. And, and so I'm so thankful. And anybody who hasn't been following Afro Vegan Society, jump on social media, go to our website, sign up for, you know, our email, our, uh, email list and connect with us because we're doing great work. I don't want to just double that. I want to like multiply it by a hundred. And uh, we're, we're, I think we're probably over time, but do you, what are you doing right now in Baltimore? How could people find out about it and support it? Um, so right now I, I am focused on um, the Greener Kitchen, which started out because, uh, you know, people loved the foods that we were bringing out to the Thrive events so much and, and you know, to different festivals and, and things like that. They love the food so much that they just basically bullied us and said, look, we need to be able to buy this food. You need to make that happen. Um, and so we, we, we figured out that there was a need um, for uh, prepared for affordable and accessible prepared vegan food, because what we were finding over and over again is, you know, there's this, this um, sort of rhetoric that's like, it's not hard to, to eat plant-based food. It's not hard to be, you know, to eat vegan food. You just, beans and rice is cheap. Um, but what folks aren't acknowledging in that narrative is that when you're, living at the margins of society, when you're low income, when, you know, you're contending with poverty, oftentimes you have more than one job. You don't have a whole lot of time. You don't have, you know, the, the access to, you know, what, what other people have access, you know, people with more leisure, you know, can bake this wonderful vegan bread or I don't know, whatever people, cause I don't have it. Um, but you know, they, they, you know, you have the space to be able to, to create right? Um, for some people, convenience food is the only food that, um, that fits into their lifestyles. And I, and I get it that a lot of folks who are vegan, just that is not their experience. That is outside, you know, um, their, like, what they know about. And so they just never think about the fact that, you know, these food, these convenience foods that are just the worst animal products you could possibly think of um, that are being flooded into these communities. That's also the only foods that they can um, afford. And it's the only foods that um, are convenient enough to fit into the life that they've been forced into. Right. Um, and so I wanted to show that it was possible to have 
food that, um, you know, that is accessible and affordable and plant-based. And so, um, you know, we, we've been doing that through the greener kitchen. Um, and it, you know, it's not easy. We're, we're located in a community called Pigtown, um, <laughs> which, you know, um, kind of speaks for itself. And, and so, you know, we've, but, but I, you know, a lot of vegan prepared food is especially designed to turn a profit, to be like as expensive as people are willing to pay so that folks can, I don't know, get rich. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what people are doing. I just know that my goal is to make sure that everybody, everybody has access to plant-based food and that it shouldn't be an elitist thing. And that is, you know, you shouldn't have to eat beans and rice every single day, you know, unless you want to, because I know I do. Um, <laughs> and uh, so the Greener Kitchen has, you know, we is just run, it's a collective, a worker-owned collective that's run by a bunch of activists who uh, have a, a mission to make plant-based food um, accessible and affordable to everyone. Everyone deserves to be able to eat this food. Um, and, and I also have the podcast, Food and Justice. <laughs> The Food and Justice podcast is all about just that, connecting um, the food system to uh, justice issues and talking about how we can uh, make an unjust system more just. Um, and then uh, what else, what else, Patrice? Um, <laughs> oh, Vegan Soul Fest. We, we, we only uh, quickly glossed over that. Um, we have been on hiatus for the last couple of years. I don't know if you um, are aware of this pesky pandemic that we've been uh, all experiencing. But um, so Vegan Soul Fest brought out 13,000 people the last time we did it. So it just hasn't been um, feasible with the restrictions we're looking at. Um, we're looking at this year, you know, fingers crossed people are going out and, and, and gathering, you know, there's some, some whispers about variants. Um, so we'll see, but vegan soul fest is, is, um, you know, just an opportunity to bring together, you know, culture and food and music and education and support and just all the things. Vegan Soul Fest is all the things. I organize it with Nigel Wright Brown, who is the co-owner of uh, Vegan Bistro in uh, Baltimore called The Land of Kush. And the two of us just decided that we wanted to use, you know, what we had, the knowledge and experiences that we had to help our community. And we came up with this festival. We've been doing it since 2014. And it's just grown exponentially over the years. So there's that. Um, I speak i'm writing a book i don't know patrice i'm doing a lot i'm doing a lot <laughs> you don't have to list anymore <laughs> I, I think i think i think we're, we're 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 either out of time or well over time oh uh, but i wanna i wanna um i wanna read that book okay um i wanna come to the next vegan soul fest I need to eat at Land of Kush again because that's my favorite restaurant in oh, the yay. entire country. Wow. And, yes. Um, yes. I would like to know if you have any parting thoughts on the subject of community organizing uh, for those who have been tuning in 
and are like, yeah, I want to be like Brenda Sanders. Uh, first and foremost, Afro-Vegan Society is about to launch a, an activist training program because we want people to be able to do what we've been able to do. Um, and so that's actually gonna, we're, we'll be putting out um, information about that and allowing people to register, sign up for that um, in the fall. And so that's one resource that will be available to folks who are feeling like I want to do uh, what Brenda Sanders does. And um, I'm accessible right now. I haven't gotten famous or anything. So <laughs> yet, so I don't have bodyguards or anything. So I am actually um, you know, reachable. So if people want to reach out to me on social media, you know, at brendasanders.info, ask any questions, um, you know, I, I'm here. This is, this is why I'm here to, to do what I do, but also to encourage other people and empower other people, you know, to do this kind of work as well. Um, and, and just like continue to tune in to in contact because I'm sure that there will be lots more information and expertise and inspiration coming up, you know, through this show. And and Patrice, you're such an inspiration to me and so many others. Um, even though it probably makes you uncomfortable to hear that, I just gotta say it. <laughs> you are such an inspiration. So thank you so, so, so much for this. Well, yes, I feel uncomfortable. So luckily we've come to the end of our time. Visit Afrovian Society online, brendasanders.info. You can visit vinesanctuary.org and look at the In Context page for show notes and for recordings of past shows or notices of upcoming shows. Thank you so much, Brenda, for making time uh, to talk to us today and for all of your work over the years. And thank you for tuning in and for all of the work that you have done and will do. This has been In Context.